right, here we go. I'm excited, y'all. I had this sermon locked and loaded last week, so now it's like double locked and loaded this week. My chest is going, my heart beats up. I'm ready to go. Also had coffee. Here we go. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to talk about a wee little man today. Um, before I, mmm, all my VBSers. Everyone that grew up Christian is like, I know who the wee little man is. Wait and see. It gets crazy. Um, do you guys know what a selective attention test is? You ever taken one of those? I remember being, I think it was in high school. That's a fancy way of saying, you ever seen a YouTube video that plays this little trick on your mind? But basically, I remember looking at this YouTube video, my friend being like, hey, watch this video and see if you can pass the test. Press this play. And there's a question. Before you see anything, there's a question on the screen. It says, how many times do people in white t-shirts pass the ball? And you're like, okay. Whenever this video plays, look for the people in white t-shirts and count how many times they pass a ball. So it goes to the video and you see people wearing black shirts and people wearing white shirts and they're both passing the ball. And so you're trying to pay close attention. You're like, this is not gonna get by me. One, two, three, 10. Gets to 10. I know the answer, it's 10. End of the video. The answer is 10. And even as a 31 year old, I'm like, yes! I'm a genius, like I knew it, I counted right, you know? I've known this since second grade, which is longer than it takes most people, and, but then it goes, but second question, did you happen to see the gorilla? And you're like, wait, what? And then it replays the video for you, and while they're passing, I kid you not, someone wearing a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the video, dances like this, it's from the 90s, so he dances really dumb, dances like this, walks off the screen. I didn't see it. A gorilla came in the middle of the video and started dancing, and I did not see it. And I kid you not, most people fail to see the gorilla. And when they showed the video the second time, you're like, they added that. You start the video over, no, the gorilla was there the whole time. That's an example of selective attention. When your eyes are so focused on something that you missed something special and unique that happened because you were just looking for something differently. And today I wanna to talk about what it looks like to have eyes like Jesus. And in a world like ours, the chaos of our lives, kind of ruled by our calendars, we either are busy or we think we're busy, either way our brains are busy. It is so easy to go through life with like selective attention disorder only thinking about the things that we're consumed with, only thinking about the things that we're focused on. And the whole time, God is trying to like get our attention over here. And I don't think he's doing it via gorilla suit, but I think he does it in really special ways. And I wanna read this story about Jesus and a short guy named Zacchaeus. And I wanna just take time to notice the attentiveness of Jesus. It's really easy to miss how attentive he is. And so if you're taking notes, in this massive slide. How, our new projector, y'all, look at that. I mean, that is huge. It makes my slides look so stupid because I only put like four words on each slide. But anyway, if you're taking notes, Awaken Us to See is the name of this title, or the name, the name of this title, okay? All right, Luke 19, one through 10. We gotta hurry up and get to the scripture. Um, all right, Luke 19, one through 10. It's a story about Jesus and a guy named Zacchaeus. All right, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. I was so short all of elementary school. I empathize. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I'm going to recap what just happened and expound just a little bit. And then we're going to look at kind of three keys to how to see, how to have eyes like Jesus. Okay? All right. So, first thing. We need to know where Jesus is going when this story takes place. Okay? Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And um, he is about 10-ish days away from being crucified. So if you are familiar with the gospel story, you already know this, but Jesus, he knew that he came to the earth to die. He talked several times about dying. He's going to die for the sins of the world, okay? So he is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to do the big thing, okay? Um, In fact, in verse 29 of this same chapter, Palm Sunday's happening, So that's how close we are. Palm Sunday where the people lay down the branches, they welcome the the savior of the world. Okay, in comes Zacchaeus while Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's a chief tax collector. That means that he was an employee of the Roman Empire. All right, I looked this up uh, literally this morning because I was like, wait, I don't think I know enough about tax collectors. It says, under the Roman system, men would bid on those positions to be tax collectors. And they would win the bid by pledging to the Roman Empire, I'll make this much money. And someone else would go, I'll make this much money. And they would just basically compete. I pledge, I will raise this much money, which is crazy. And anything they managed to raise over the amount that they agreed to raise with the Roman Empire, they got to keep. So in other words, there was a great incentive to take as much money from everyday people like you and me as possible. Because one, you've got to give Rome what you said you would, or my guess is, you know what I'm saying, it's over with. And then two, anything you raise over the promised amount, you got to keep. That's a vibe. So they raise money in tax season, not by asking, but whether fair or unfair, by demanding certain amounts of money, and then they keep the profits. On top of that, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man. We learned that. Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. The Jews are under the Roman Empire, oppressed by the Roman regime. So this means their Jewish brother, Zacchaeus, who we've already learned is filthy rich, got filthy rich by ripping off his own people on behalf of the oppressive regime. He stinks, all right? Let's just call it what it is. If you know someone like this, you do not like them. That's how it is. Even when you're in church, you're like, ugh, they're in church. I hope God kind of loves them, you know? Um, That's not a good joke. All right. So on this day, Zacchaeus shows up to see Jesus, and he can't see because of the crowd. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert 
um, or, or like a, a football game or something, and you manage to find the one six foot six person in the whole arena, and they're right smack dab in front of you. And so the whole time you're there, you're doing the head bobbing thing. You're like bobbing and weaving, all right? When they lean right, I go left. When they go left, I go right, so I can kind of see Justin Bieber. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to a Bieber concert in May. Cannot wait. <laughs> um, anyway, but if you've ever been in that situation, so I want you to picture this short man who wants to see Jesus, all right? And he's behind a crowd. I don't know if he was late because he was preoccupied or he heard that Jesus was coming late or maybe he heard a ruckus out in the streets and went out to see, but he's eager to see Jesus, all right? So I want you to picture this because it's easy. I've already given you the portrait of he's greedy, he's rich. We don't love him. But also he's really eager to get his eyes on Jesus, because he has the wherewithal to go, okay, can't see, but I can kind of tell where he's coming from. And he looks ahead to see where he might be headed to. And he spots a sycamore tree. I didn't look that up this week. Yeah, I forgot. I don't know how tall that is. Pick your height of a tree. He looks at the tree and I'm sure he's got on like Louis V robes or whatever. Like he's, he's, he's doing it. He's got fine linens on, all right? But he goes, Jesus is important enough for me just to get my eyes on that he begins to climb the tree. He don't care if a branch does a rip here or up there. He can buy another one, right? So he goes, he climbs up the tree, eager to see Jesus. And in the midst of this chaos, the crowd clamoring, screaming Jesus' name, Jesus sees Zacchaeus in this tree. And he tells Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And so what does the crowd do? They feel disappointed. Everyone that knows who Jesus is is like, man, Jesus, wait, I'm trying to get healed. My brother's sick, my friend needs you. Or Jesus, wait, like give some provocative teaching that makes the Pharisees look dumb again. We love when you do that. We love the anti-established Jesus until Jesus is anti-your establishment and they're disappointed. They go, man, this guy eats with like scum, dude. Like Zacchaeus stinks. Why him? In verse eight, once Jesus and Zacchaeus are having dinner, something happens in Zacchaeus. His greed turns to generosity. I mean, it's fascinating when you actually think, like don't read it like a parable, it really happened. He gives away half of what he has. I don't even know how the math works out here. But the people he ripped off, that he defrauded, he goes, I'm gonna pay them back fourfold. And I just got this picture of Jesus, and I'm, I'm making this up, it may not be real, but I, I just got this picture of Zacchaeus that it feels like his whole life he grew up, and all the kids in school knew like, oh, hey, that kid, the reason he dresses like that, his dad's a tax collector. Yeah, my mom and dad said they have no money because of him. Don't sit with them. It's as if he grew up his whole life just being this rich reject with no friends. And so he learned how to befriend money and more money and more money. And it's as if this dude, this whole time was waiting on someone to look at him with a real genuine look and validate his humanity in order for his soul to come alive. Because when Jesus looks at him and says, I know you've ate at lunch tables by yourself your whole life. I'm not inviting you to my table. I'm just gonna come to your dining room. I'm gonna be there. Something happens in him. And this moment happens, it's really easy to underestimate the presence that Jesus had to have, the presence of mind to notice Zacchaeus in that tree. And so I wanna talk about what it looks like for us as people of God to have eyes to see like Jesus has. Because here's what I believe. 
I believe we are surrounded by Zacchaeus types. People waiting on you, not just to pass through, not just to pass by, but to have eyes to see them, to look them in the eyes, to speak life and love to their soul. I believe Zacchaeus type transformation is not just available to you, but your community. If only you would have eyes to see. And I wanna talk about what it looks like to have eyes to see. And y'all, I'm lit, I'm ready to go. Are you ready? Because I really, I, I don't think you understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. I don't think I understand. <laughs> you know, who knows? You guys ever wonder, what does God literally want to do in your daily life as you go from one place to the next? No telling. So let's explore this thought together. You guys ready? All right, if you're taking notes, first point, I wanna talk about being present, all right? Just the power of presence. It is so sneaky how attentive Jesus had to be in this moment. And if you want eyes to see, like Jesus, you have to learn how to be exactly where your feet are. And that's not a metaphor. I'm literally learning at times when I feel distracted and chaotic to look down at my shoes or my bare feet if I'm on the lawn at Belmont like I used to be. Anyone else go barefoot at Belmont on the grass? Is that over? (laughs) My bad. That used to be cool. All right. Um, But literally to look down at your feet and go, oh, that's right. I'm standing right here. God, help me to notice where I am because my brain has a tendency to be anywhere but here. Okay, so remember, Jesus passing through Jericho. You ever been passing through a place? You ever been like on your way to Knoxville or Atlanta or Alabama for some reason? (laughs) That's an an Alabama joke, I'm totally kidding. I have Alabama friends here. Um, Love you guys, Roll Tide, War Eagle, whatever. Um, Anyway, you ever been on your way and taking an exit? How present were you at that BP? You know, like how Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do in this place were you at pump five? You know what I mean? When you're passing through a place, aren't you really just passing through that place? That place bears no significance other than I really gotta pee. That's the significance of this gas station. Like that's all it does. It is so easy. How easy is it to be distracted and just passing through when you have nowhere to be? Sometimes I'll be on my way home and I'm so in a hurry and I literally have to remember I'm going nowhere. I have no time to be anywhere. I don't have a meeting at home. Leah works harder than me so she's getting home after I get home. Like. Why am I in a hurry? You notice that? How easy is it to not just be where you are? You ever been sitting with your spouse or your friends and been totally unaware of their existence for like hours? You like look up from TikTok and you're like, my goodness, it's been two hours. You good? Okay, cool. You you hungry? You need anything? All right, good, you know? How easy is it to not be present? Don't underestimate how present Jesus had to be to see Zacchaeus in that tree. We've already named it. He's on his way to die. All of creation hinges on his travel to Jerusalem. I'm not present at the gas station on the way to a Tennessee football game. If Jerusalem and all of creation is waiting on that journey, how much presence of mind do you have to have? How many things do you have to keep pushing away from distracting you from being in Jericho? And not only that, but people are crowding the streets. Just think about what it sounded like. I remember being in New York City, Justin Bieber's coming up in my sermon too much, but he's coming back again, here he comes. I remember being in New York City when Justin Bieber was there. (laughs) Didn't know he was gonna be there. 
So on the set of Good Morning America, it was my mom's idea, had no clue. The amount of noise when Justin Bieber is anywhere near like 15-year-old girls is so shocking. It's so loud and tears and fainting and it's, it's really crazy. And I just like, tried to picture that. Probably not that crazy, but people are screaming Jesus' name. And I don't know if you've ever been in the midst of a crowd that was just making a lot of noise. It's hard to focus, you know? So Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, really important stuff, surrounded by all this auditory noise, still has the presence of mind to see Zacchaeus sitting in that tree. And it's as if Jesus goes, he hears the Holy Spirit go, that's why you're here. That guy right there. The people screaming with real needs that really want to hear something, they have good hearts. That's not why. Jericho is not just on your way to Jerusalem. You're here for the man in that tree. Don't underestimate how present Jesus had to be, how aware of the Holy Spirit Jesus had to be to see Zacchaeus. If we want eyes to see like Jesus, we need to practice being where we are resisting this tendency for our mind to be anywhere else. And this is gonna be a lifelong thing. If you try to like conquer this tomorrow, you will stress yourself out. Practice taking a step tomorrow, but this is gonna be a lifelong endeavor to, to be on the phone and go, while I'm on the phone, I'm just gonna be talking to the person I'm talking to instead of watching everything that walks by. When you're answering emails, when you're waiting on your order at a restaurant, when you're sitting on the couch with your spouse or your roommates or your friends, when someone's talking to you, instead of choosing to come up with what you wanna say and just wait for them to like volume down so that you can interject, like to really look at them in the eyes and to listen, but to be as present as Jesus is takes practice. What could it look like for you to be on your way to class and to be present? What could it look like for you to be in your car on 440, stuck in traffic, and to be present? What could it look like to be sitting in class as your professor talks and to be right there, present? What could happen if the Holy Spirit had our attention in our day-to-day? I don't know the answer. I think it's kind of unlimited, one of those things. But imagine with me, like picture yourself, what are you normally doing? Like 11 a.m. on a Monday, what are you up to? Your normal routines. I'm not talking like, what if you sat down and, and opened your Bible and really focused hard? Like just as you go in life, what might God be wanting to do if you would just give him more of your attention? And maybe it starts out with just a simple, hey God, right now I'm on my way to class or right now I'm making a cup of coffee before my day starts and once it starts, it's not gonna stop. Will you help me remember you're, you're here right now? And you're going to be here when I'm busy and I forget you and you're going to be here when I'm focused and I remember you. But no matter what, you're going to be there. And maybe what could it look like if every hour you had a reminder on your phone that was just like, hey, don't forget. Be present. Be aware. Y'all, I think in five years, if we had that habit, where often we just said, oh yeah, that's right, God, you're here. Love you. Anything you need here? Anything going on? Anyone you need me to see? If we would just choose to be present I think this room would be full of testimonies of what God would do with that if he just had your attention. All right, let's move on. Does that make sense? Okay, <laughs> point number two. Perspective of heaven. If we wanna see like Jesus sees, we gotta have heaven's perspective. I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but have you heard of Imago Dei? 
You know what that means? Someone tell me what that means. Image of God. Yeah, it just means image of God. In Genesis 1, in the creation story, God says, let us make man in our image. Side note, kind of cool. You get the Trinity aspect there. Father, Son, Spirit. Let us make man in our image. And so uh, with creation in mind, humanity kind of has a special touch from the Lord. We're made in the image of God. We reflect his image. And I think Jesus, well, obviously, I don't think, I know. Jesus was so good at living with this understanding in mind. Jesus was so good at seeing the hearts made in the image of God, desperate to know God, check this, regardless of their status, their reputation, their personality, their Enneagram, no matter what, he saw right through to the heart. He could lay aside everything that culture saw He had the ability to see right through their sin and right to a hungry soul. So when he sees Zacchaeus, guys, do you know how easy it would be being an all-knowing God to see Zacchaeus and only see him for his greed, his arrogance, his grossness, to see his guilty conscience and be like, yeah, you should feel guilty. Like, you're not cool at all. You're really lame. You steal from the poor and add to your wealth. Think about our culture today. We are not fans of rich people that oppress the poor, nor should we be, to be clear. (laughs) I want to change that. (laughs) Totally kidding. No. It would be so easy to see Zacchaeus and to have a spear of, he made his bed. Hope he enjoys his money because it's going to turn to ash and then it's to hell with him. And that's how it goes. But Jesus saw a soul He saw the image of God, and he knew this man is one look away from one giving all his money away, but his soul being rooted in the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like to have eyes like Jesus. I thought about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Oh, it's so sweet. This woman's going to get water in the hottest part of the day, and she's doing that strategically, and it's so sad that she's being this strategic, but the town knew she slept around like a lot. They'd been at the parties and they'd watch her go home with different men all the time and she got herself a reputation. And so to avoid all the murmuring and the gossip and the awkward hellos, she would go get water at the hottest part of the day, like making it the hardest possible job for herself just to dodge talking to people that she knew looked at her a certain way with condescension in their heart. And Jesus goes to her, validates her humanity, testifies of the good news, and she becomes not only like a follower of Christ, she becomes the head preacher of her whole town. Jesus knows how to see a soul hungry for more of him. He knows how to see past everything that culture has made people. I thought about Nicodemus, another person sneakily encountering Jesus in John chapter three. He says he comes to Jesus at night. I think that was on purpose. I don't think he wanted his squad to know he was actually kind of intrigued by Jesus because he's a Pharisee. And we love hating on the Pharisees because they're easy to hate on. They memorize the whole Bible and then they use it to beat people up, to make them feel stupid, to make them feel lesser than, to make them feel unworthy. They lift themselves up in their righteousness. They're the Instagram pastors that you love to hate. 
preachers in sneakers just talking about their shoes and how much they were, just to throw them in the shade. Yeah, that's how we do. I don't know why I'm talking about preachers in sneakers. It's a fun account. I was not given a critique. Maybe I was. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Never mind. All right. I don't, I don't know what I meant. Please don't hold me to that. <laughs> All right. But regardless, Nicodemus is a part of a group that is so easy to hate. They're in power and they persecute people. That's why Jesus often, his harshest words, when you see Jesus angry in the gospel, it's at the Pharisees because their heart is so cold even though they're supposed to know the word of God. But when Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes with an open heart, that's where we get John 3.16. Literally in that conversation, Nicodemus, did you know God loves the world so much? He sent his only son and whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That's where that passage comes from. In fact, in John 19, 39, when Christ dies, guess who's there to help bury Jesus? And it's not nighttime anymore. Nicodemus, at the cross, helps bury Jesus. Make no mistake, that was him declaring his allegiance to Jesus Christ, all because Jesus had the wherewithal at a fireside by night to hear Nicodemus and to see a heart that was hungry for more of him. There is power when we choose to see people how God sees them. As Christian people, we do not walk around with this IG algorithm telling us how to see people. Do you guys know that we do not adapt the world's perspective on people? We do not let the world sucker us into telling us how to view Republicans or Democrats. We do not do that, literally. I feel like it's so easy to get suckered in. We don't let culture tell us how to view white people, brown people, black people, rich people, poor people. If we want eyes to see, we have to let the Holy Spirit lead us to reveal our biases, to reveal the condescending nature of our hearts, to, to reveal our sexism, racism, whatever it is, but like only the Holy Spirit gets to dictate how we view people. No one loves like Christ. No one loves as equally and as infinitely as Christ. Only heaven can give Christian people the perspective of God. And that must be spirit-led. If we want eyes to see, we have to see how Jesus sees. And so right now, think to yourself, God, who is someone that I'm intentionally ignoring? Who is someone that I am condescending in my spirit? Father, rebuke that in me. Work that out of me. Who is someone that I put in that category of, man, they're just not ready to like receive the love of God, so I'm just not gonna love them. Like right now, there's a group of people or an individual that you can think of that you are quick to ignore, to judge, to condescend, because you may think that they think they're better than you, or maybe you think you're better than them. But this is not how the church operates. If we want eyes to see, we must have heavenly perspective. All right, we good? Those are the first two. One more. Y'all still with me? All right, I'm starting to sweat. I can't tell if it's because I'm nervous or because it's just getting hot. It's getting hot, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Um, all right, one more and then we'll get out of here. Um, number three, if we want eyes to see like Jesus, I think maybe we need to start seeing interruptions as invitations. We gotta start seeing interruptions as invitations. I said this like four times, but you know how easy it would have been for Jericho to be an obstacle on the way to the thing. Jericho is so easily the obstacle in the way of Jerusalem. But if we want eyes to see, we have to understand like, man, we've got time. Like, God, we have time. In that moment, 
as urgent as his mission was, Jesus had time to pause, to get dinner. Have you ever been doing something and someone interrupts it and your first instinct is just like, hey, not right now. Just like not right now. Like any, like literally, I love this any other time, but right now, okay? I'm answering an email that could wait, but it can't. You know what I mean? It could wait, but it can't. You're interrupting me. I remember being, as a, being a barista, be making coffee, and someone will order their coffee, and then it turns out they want a conversation just as bad, if not more, than they want coffee. And I'm like, hey, not right now. Even though it's my literal job to be behind the bar, I'm going to go to the kitchen because I don't want to talk to you, right? Does anyone else view interruptions this way? Like, that's how I do it. And, and I think if we want to be people that see like Jesus sees, we got to ask ourselves, hey, who, whose agenda wins the day for us? Like, at the end of the day, whose agenda is winning our hearts? Is it God's agenda? Is it our agenda? I remember my professor telling me a story. He and his like, fellow professor were, were sitting at Belmont. They were talking on the lawn, having this deep conversation. And some like, 18-year-old freshman just ran up to him and without even asking, just totally interrupted their conversation. And the professor telling the story, his name's Dr. Curtis. And Dr. Curtis remembers going, internally thinking, this is a good time to teach this freshman what the real world is like. You can't just like walk up to a group of people and just start talking, like totally ignorant to, hey, there was a whole thing happening before you showed up, believe it or not, you know? But he watched his friend just kind of listen, totally pause their conversation and be fully present. After the kid left, he was like, tell me what just happened, because in my opinion, this kid was rude and it was time to teach him like a life lesson about how the world works. And the professor responded with something very simple, but he says, man, as I've gotten older, I've just learned, God has taught me that a lot of times these interruptions are actually invitations. That if I'll lay down my agenda, which was the conversation we were having, and just pay a little bit more attention to this person trying to talk to me, that maybe God actually has something in this. Now, before I continue, I'm not telling you that every time someone interrupts you rudely to just give them your full attention, right? That might be life management malfeasance. You might be super stressed. Create boundaries. Boundaries are healthy and good, okay? What I'm saying is if your agenda is always number one, you will miss out when God interrupts your agenda and has something else for you. Like, when your agenda is so tied to your calendar, you need to know God is not as tied to your calendar as you are. There will be moments where he tries to interrupt and speak to your soul. And there's a moment where agenda just becomes idolatry. There's a moment where we're so in control of our narrative and how what, what needs to get done and our day's task lists that when, you see, it leads to tears. It hurts us. But there's moments where we're so tight-fisted. Side note, some of us are so tight-fisted with our schedule and what we have to get done, we're stressing ourselves out. Does anyone know you've got the power to stress yourself out? Does anyone know you can be so tied to what you need to get done for the day that you're living stressed? You gotta open up your hands. But secondly, we're so immersed in our own agenda that we completely miss out on what God is doing. What could happen when unexpected curveballs come into our life? What if we just went, hey God, is this from you? When that person walks up to your desk for the fourth time to tell a personal story that they think is funny, that you do not think is funny, and they're not going to ask about your life, they're just going to tell you about theirs, and your whole mind is like, how do I make this conversation as quick as humanly possible? Can anyone testify? That happens in life. Like, man, they talk, they do not listen. How, what if in that moment you went, God, is there anything you have for me here? 
Holy Spirit, is this how Jesus would respond to this perceived interruption? Or is this maybe an invitation? If you want eyes to see like Jesus, be open to the curveballs that come throughout your day, at work, at school, when you're just hanging out. Be open to that being from the Lord. I thought about the bleeding woman in the Gospels where Jesus is on his way to resurrect a dead person. When's the last time he did that? Jesus, on his way to resurrect a dead person, crowds surrounding him, and he feels a tug on his robe. That's an interruption if I've ever heard of one, okay? If you're on your way to resurrect a dead person, anything that gets in the way is in fact an interruption. And yet Jesus said, this is an invitation. Who touched me? Your faith has made you well. Heals this woman who'd been sick all of her life because he had the wherewithal to go. This is not an interruption. This is Holy Spirit anointed. You are not gonna be on your way to resurrect a dead person anytime soon. Is my guess, maybe it is. I, pr- I applaud your faith, that's amazing. Maybe we should do that more, I don't know. But my guess is, you're gonna be, be on your way to far less important things. And y'all, as people of Jesus, may we be the, be the people when our agenda gets interrupted, we do not respond with pride and arrogance and how do I get beyond this point as quickly as possible so I can be- get back to what I need to get done for myself. But may we instead go, God, is there anything you're doing in my life right now? Is this person that I'm too selfish to care about, someone that you want me to have eyes to see with the compassion and the love and the kindness of Jesus? Y'all, I can't imagine how different life would be if we walked this way. And so this week, it's really simple. How can we begin practicing this? What's one simple way? that we can practice being present. Having the perspective of heaven. Seeing interruptions as invitations. This is a lifelong endeavor. So tomorrow, when you inevitably put your agenda above God's, like don't be, it's okay, we're cool, we're cool. Look at God and be like, we're cool, love you, thanks for grace, we're fine. But man, a lifetime of going, Lord, help me be present. Help me be open to you, Holy Spirit. Help me to be far more open to your agenda than my own. A lifetime of that, I promise you, you will have more than a few Zacchaeus to show up. They went, yeah, my life was going one way until you looked at me. You saw me. You spoke these words. You gave me a hug. You were generous. You gave me your time. I knew you were too busy, but you chose not to be busy. I noticed that. You are surrounded by people that need to see the eyes and to experience the love of Jesus. And I just wanna lead us to pray, God, may nothing get in the way of those moments. My agenda forever, forever falls short of your agenda. And God's not gonna always give like these huge long-term commitments to you when you do this. One of my fears is always, okay, if I give this person my attention, what if they wanna be best friends for like 30 years? I do not want that. Zacchaeus did not become the 12th disciple. I don't even think he kept going with Jesus. I just know his life changed forever. Maybe he'll invite you into a long-term commitment. You'll be fine. The Holy Spirit's gonna help you love that. I promise you. But also maybe it'll just be a blessing in that moment. Be open-handed. And so as we go to communion, I just wanna ask you out of this conversation to write down a simple prayer that you can pray every day this week, several times a day. Write it on your phone, write it on a piece of paper. But simply, what's a prayer you can pray to grow 
in being where your feet are, being present, seeing the soul in people, not letting Instagram or culture define how you see people, but instead the compassion and the empathy and the grace of Jesus to see the image of God in people, to not see everything that comes into your life as an interruption, but instead maybe an invitation from heaven. That's all I got. I think if this church family would spend the next, the rest of this year stepping into this kind of thinking, this kind of leaning into the spirit, I think we got hundreds of testimonies just waiting. I really do. All right, I'm gonna pray. I wanna keep talking. I'm not gonna. Father, I love you. It's hot in here. Um, That's fine. We'll overcome. Help us, Lord, this stuff, Father, you know this. The the sermon is like 1% of what we talked about. This happens in our cars. This happens in our bedrooms. This happens in our places of work. This happens as we walk from our dorm to class. This happens as we sit in class. Father, anoint our places of rest. Anoint our places of work anoint our places of friendship. God, when we're out on Friday nights with our people, will you help us to be present with our friend group, God? When we're talking to strangers, help us to be present. When it's the barista, when it's the bartender, when it's the waiter or the waitress, God, will you help us? I just get so excited. If I'm walking through Jericho to Jerusalem, I never see Zacchaeus. But when I'm in tune with your spirit, I definitely see Zacchaeus. I know I'll see him. So Father, for me, as I'm driving to the office, as I'm going to my coffee meetings and my lunches, Father, I pray, help me to see. God, I wanna just say thank you in advance for the cool stories that will come in the next six days in this family of believers as we practice being present with your spirit. I know that will happen. When we give our ears and eyes to you, Lord, you do sweet things in the small and in the big. Anyway, all right, love you. I'm getting excited again. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.